Welcome to the Artist Academy podcast, a place where we focus on the business side of art to help you attract more customers, increase profits, and ultimately live a life of creativity and financial freedom. I'm your host, Andrea Earhart, and this week's episode features Florida-based visual artist Cody Meacham of Radley Relics. Cody crafts nostalgic miniatures inspired by beloved theme park attractions and horror films. Each piece is meticulously designed, reflecting his passion for capturing the essence of iconic haunted experiences. This is perfect for as we're coming up on Halloween, right? Cody has worked on projects for Universal Studios, not to name drop there, but and has nestled lately into his own business of collaborating with collectors to create custom pieces. He leans into the fact that his work is extremely niche with creating these very small haunted dioramas, and it has a very unique nailed down audience too. And Cody interacts with his collectors to gain insight from them as to what they might be looking for in his work. Having that one-on-one communication with people who have already bought into his work helps him customize each piece to the liking of his fan base. You know, instead of starting completely from scratch every time and just making things up and hoping it goes well, you know, not knowing how th- something is going to be perceived by getting upfront feedback from collectors, he already knows that each creation will be a hit. It's genius. It's simple. Why don't we all do this? I don't know. Why don't I just ask people what they want to see before I create it and I try to think of some brand new idea on my own? Asking my audience. (laughs) Who did that? And not only that, but asking an audience of people who have already bought into my work. I am taking this this strategy into when I create canvases next, for sure. But there's a fine line between doing what you love and taking outside advice to dictate what you do, right? Right. And Cody is walking that line brilliantly. So let me know what you think about this week's episode with Cody Meacham of Radley Relics. All right, I'm here with Cody Meacham of Radley Relics, and I know nothing about what you do, which just makes me really excited to (laughs) dive into all the things, especially with Halloween season coming up and all the things. So tell me, how did you get to where you are, which is doing really cool how would you even describe it? <laughs> well, that's where kind of my name came from, Radley Relics, is because I want my pieces to feel sort of like uh, nostalgic references and relics of um, theme park industry stuff, and as well as horror movie things uh, that people love. So that's where the name kind of came from, other than uh, a haunted attraction I used to do. Now, the last one was 2014, so it's been a while, but that was called the Radley Haunted House which is why I carried over Radley to my business name. And so that's kind of where the story starts is uh, I was doing a haunted house outside of my parents' house (laughs) for about 10 years. And I started on my own uh, until it got a little bit more popular. I met some friends through that, which started helping me out with costuming and and building the house and stuff. And one day, well, actually a couple of years in a row, I was messaging the creators or one of the creators of Halloween Horror Nights, uh, Mike Aiello. He works for Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios Orlando. And um, just kind of on a whim, I was like, oh, let's see what he says or if he's interested. And eventually he was like, yeah, me and a couple of friends want to come and and check out your haunted house. Uh, that was, they were coming from Orlando. I was in St. Pete. So that's like a two, two hour drive. 
they did come down in 2013 and it wasn't just some of his friends. It was like the whole creative crew of Halloween Horror Nights, which almost sent me into a heart attack, but they came and they loved it. And they kind of talked to me afterwards about, you know, what I wanted to do. And that sort of initiated the idea of moving to Orlando and working for them um, at Halloween Horror Nights. So I was able to get a job with art and design in the decor team who would decorate all the haunted houses, which if you don't know, they do 10 elaborate, usually 10 elaborate new haunted houses every year, which are fully themed and decked out to look like movie sets. They're very high quality. And then that sort of eventually led into me getting into the scenic industry, which as a scenic painter, because we were working alongside the people who would bring the haunted houses to life from the illustrations that they were given by design, at Universal, a third-party vendor would usually be the ones to build out the house and then add texture and paint. And I thought that was super interesting. I was like, wow, I've always loved creating environments, which I was helping to do with decor. But I thought maybe I should dabble in that. And so I met a friend in that department from a third-party vendor, and she sort of became my scenic paint mom and a good friend. And from there, I moved into the scenic world. So that's where the exciting adventure really begins because that's where I kind of found what I was felt like I was meant to do at the time, especially because growing up, I was always a huge theme park nerd. I loved theme park attractions and I loved the way they made, especially Disney would make things feel authentic and realistic as an environment goes. So from there, I did Halloween Horror Nights for a few years, as well as Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure, uh, which is the currently the latest Harry Potter attraction at Universal. I've just had some amazing connections in Orlando that have got me some pretty cool jobs. And so that's kind of the journey until 2020. I was working at Halloween Horror Nights that year when the pandemic hit. And luckily, we were able to work through the pandemic to finish the haunted houses because I guess at that time, which was like, you know, March, they assumed, oh, the pandemic's not going to be a big deal when it comes to September when we open. So we'll just finish the haunted houses. So I worked through July until we found out the Horror Nights was canceled. And then I was kind of forced to go home and figure out what am I going to do to, uh, <laughs> as an artist, as a gig-based artist, what am I going to do to make money? And I had already started kind of dabbling in miniatures. I've always loved miniatures growing up. I was super into model trains. And so I just started going from there and building theme park-related stuff because I was already in Orlando my social media at the time was very Orlando-centric and theme park-centric. And um, so I, that was kind of my audience that I was going towards and creating Halloween Horror Nights things or theme park things and building it up from there. And um, that's kind of landed me where I am now. That very was cool. a long-winded opening statement. <laughs> no, that's perfect. It tells your story about working for Universal Studios. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> I, when I, I remember when I first started, especially, I was like, I just want to paint for Disney. I, I just, I'm such a huge Disney fan. And I'm actually listening to Absolutely. one of the the villain series that some other artists wrote about Disney. Like I'm listening I saw to you the, posting that. the audible, yeah, the audible version of that. Anyway, huge Disney fan. So I'm just cool. nerding out that you worked for them and you were on, you're doing all of that. <laughs> okay. So I'm thinking about my experiences. So I worked with Bass Pro Shops, which is not the same thing, but it's very oh. similar. And you work for a big company, right? And there's a bunch of stuff that goes along with that. Like they didn't like me to share photos and whatnot. Did they allow you to share photos? Describe allow. <laughs> not really, no. <laughs> um, 
But once, for for example, Halloween Horror Nights, once the event was open, I could sort of post photos that they posted and be like, oh, I was, a, you know, a part of this. I gotcha. And then when it was a couple of years removed, I felt more comfortable posting like, oh, yeah, I helped build this thing specifically. So Very cool. How do you like being in that more of a like corporate environment versus working for yourself? What's the differences? It's a great question. I love working for myself. <laughs> Although I am a workaholic, so I work all the time. But yeah, I definitely prefer doing my own artwork because as much fun as it was to recreate somebody's two-dimensional illustration and bring it into reality into three dimensionals, that was super fun, but it was always somebody else's artwork that I was sort of translating, you know? And there's almost no credit for that because even though we were doing the hard work, not the office work, we weren't really credited for that. So I relish in the idea of doing my own work now and being able to share it whenever I want in any stage of the process. There was lots of negatives, but there's lots of positives as well. You know, working for Disney was really cool, eventually working for them. And I got to work on the Jungle Cruise refurbishment for both Disney World and Disneyland. That was my first big Disney job, I think. And because it was such a small thing, it was only like four or five of us. So it was cool to say like, oh, we you know had a large hand in helping paint the new props, including the sinking boat and um, some of the signs with a really cool team of my friends. And that was right after the pandemic or not after the pandemic, but shortly after. So like I said, it was a small group and just us in the warehouse. So that was really cool. Okay. So I'm trying to envision whenever you worked for them and then we'll get to what you make now too, but what was the process like? So they would send you drawings and say, we need this. Would it be exact measurements that they would send you and you would have to create? And were you making it in a warehouse with 20 other people working on the same thing or paint me a picture? That's a great question too. It all depends. Halloween Horror Nights was my favorite kind of job to do in the industry because it was so fast paced. We were doing supposedly supposed to have only like seven to 10 days per house, which sounds insane if you saw the scope of work that that is. But what was cool is we would just get these beautiful 2D illustrations of one wall per room, if that makes sense, to give a general idea of, okay, this is a, an abandoned warehouse. So there's lots of rust on all the metal fixtures or the walls are concrete, so they have to have a concrete texture first, and then we paint them to look aged, depending on what the era is and the distress. And so that's how Horror Nights worked. It was lots of just free play. You know, It was very creative, and we got to kind of go with the flow. And they had lots of confidence in us, so that was super fun. Whereas doing something for Disney would usually be in a warehouse uh, for the third-party vendor that I was working with where we would have Imagineering come by, which was a dream. Uh, that was super cool. But they would come by with the same kind of thing, uh, illustrations, 2D illustrations, measurements. And we'd have the fabricators, the guys who would build the things. It's crazy what you would build something like a Jungle Cruise wooden sign that's supposed to look like an old just piece of plywood that somebody painted on. That's usually often like um, laser-cut aluminum that is generally the shape of a piece of wood. And then you would have a sculptor put on top of that a two-part epoxy sculpt to kind of give it the wood grain. And then they would send it over to us. And then we have to automotive primer it with this you know, two-part epoxy paint. And then we go from there and make it look like just a piece of wood. So it's wild, the process to go through to do something as simple as that. But that's where it would be more warehouse work. 
they would bring in the large props, including the boats for Jungle Cruise that we'd have there in the warehouse. We actually fiberglass those from scratch from one of their original molds. I don't know how much I can say on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> I don't work for them anymore. But, but yeah, so it's either warehouse work, working on kind of props or small buildings, or it's field work, which is doing the large construction site projects. Like I worked on Volcano Bay for Universal Studios, all out on site doing paint out there. And then like Halloween Horror Nights where it's kind of nicer because you're in an air-conditioned soundstage that's built for that sort of thing. And we come in after the construction's already finished and we have kind of free reign over texture and paint. Very cool. Okay, so that's how you learned to to not only paint these dioramas that you do now, but create them too. So just just to explain what you do to listeners who maybe have not seen your Instagram, but I will link to the Instagram here. Go check out his stuff because we can describe it so much, but just seeing it because it's not a canvas painting. It's you create these miniature rooms with doors and things inside of them these like di- these mini dioramas and they look like if you zoom in really closely with the camera they look like you're in a real room but you could zoom out and you're like oh no this thing is 10 inches by 10 inches and it's just it's really cool and it's halloween-esque and it's just really unique so tell me about working from working large scale to now working miniature Absolutely. Thank you so much for that compliment, because that is the best compliment hearing that it looks real, that it looks authentically like a large space, because that's the goal. So what I do is a wide variety of things, as simple as a mini like six inch figure of a character. I'm kind of recreating based on a lot of Haunted Mansion characters from Disney. I am not calling it Disney's Haunted Mansion figures. They are my own. <laughs> but I do things like that, as well as, like you said, these larger dioramas that are roughly 12 by 12 by 12 boxes of scenes from theme park attractions. And my background in the scenic industry in Orlando really brought me to where I'm able to do the level of detail that I do now, because I'm able to understand basic construction when it comes to scenes and scenery. Uh, I kind of similarly build them now in miniature. That's that same way that you would kind of build in reality. And then the same as textures and paint, I've just had to figure out a realistic, smaller way of doing everything with different types of tools. So using little brushes for texture instead of using large trowels and things like that for large scale. Yeah, I just do a, a wide variety of things, but it is mostly centered around theme park nostalgia. I've grown up loving the Haunted Mansion specifically, and that was kind of the fuel to the fire of creativity when I was a kid. And so now as an adult, understanding scenic design and production and paint, it's really fun to go back to my original interests and sort of recreate them with the tools that I have. So that's that's what I do now. Very cool. I have a couple of friends who they really like Halloween time and the scary stuff. And I just so much, I'm like, why don't you paint scary stuff? They're like, I don't know. And they, you know, they kind of paint whatever the customer wants, which so do I, I'm, I'm mostly commission based, but it's so cool to see somebody leaning into what you really like to do. How are customers finding you? Are you creating things? I guess this is a two-part question. How are they finding you? And also, what is the commission process like? As in, are you commission-based based based on certain limits or do you create your own stuff and people buy it? 
What's it like? Yeah, that's where the workaholism comes in to play because I'm constantly battling, do I work on the stack of work that people want me to do versus the new figure I'm really interested in sculpting and painting? And so I do both. But mostly I am commission-based. You can message me. I do, it's a little archaic, but I still do all of my orders mostly through Instagram. So if you like something on my page, basically just message me about it and we can figure out how to schedule that. That's how I do pricing as well through there. I do have a general price scale. That's one of my pinned images on Instagram that leads you to my website to talk more about that. But it really just comes down to the hours it takes to sculpt and build and paint. And these larger dioramas definitely reflect that time because they take quite a a large amount of time. Yeah. And I'm looking, I was going to your Instagram and I went to look at the post that you were describing and it literally says price estimation guide. And I love that that's so clear because I don't have to go through a lot of different things to find out what post you were talking about. And so putting myself in the mind of a customer going there, I'd be like, because that's what I, one of my first things like, these are so cool. How do I own one? How much do they cost? And so having that price estimation guide at the top of your oh, I want to do this. <laughs> I want to do... Everybody's either... <laughs> I'm glad you like it. Okay, yeah. So I'm looking at it. And uh, for everybody listening, go to the link, go check out what I'm looking at and see if this might be some, a good idea for you because I'm definitely going to do this. It is... You go there oh, cool. and you have four different examples of things in the $200 category, $500, $5,000, $1,000, and how long it's going to take you. Okay. And it just gives examples, like visual examples. Oh, this is great. Yeah. Those things you'll also see on my page. And that was where this came from was I was getting so many questions about prices and availability. And I can't really be a shop because I rarely have stock. That's why I don't have an Etsy account. Well, I do, but you won't find anything on there. And people often say, you know, why why is your shop always empty. And and that's because when I do limited releases, because I'm not on a mass production scale by any means, but like my most recent thing that I'm doing, it's this little figure. It's like a three-dimensional scene. She's the witch of Walpurgis. When I release that officially to my subscribers, that's how I started doing it now is I have a subscription service on my Instagram for those hardcore fans. They pay $5 a month and they get first access. So when I release something and it's going to be a very limited amount, like 15, they will have first access. And then if I have anything left over, I'll post about it and say, Hey, I have a few of these left. And then they're usually gone after a couple of days. So I hate to say it and make it sound like so hard to find my things, but I just don't have the bandwidth to create more. But when it comes down to commissions, you can commission me to do one. So if you really love something that I've done, that's how we do the commission process. And you just have to be scheduled in, kind of like a tattoo artist. Very cool. Okay. So this is just a different way of doing it. And okay. I'm just wrapping it's a my little mind convoluted. Up. I'm trying to uh, know, streamline like it. it better. No, it's this just is wild great. right now. No, yeah. <laughs> okay, this, cool. this is great. No, this it, the pricey guide is just so easy. And then also just having having those people subscribing to you for to get those early releases. Yes, I like it. it just, I, <laughs> I haven't heard about it before. So I'm like processing it in my mind. I'm like, this could work maybe. And because I think all of us too, we, we, we try to relate it back to our business. Like, could this work for my business? Yeah. And do you have conversations with your subscribers very often? 
Yes. Yes. Yeah, not as much as I would like to. But yeah, we'll have great discussions. We recently had one about what what is the next thing that you want to see. The majority, I would say, of my subscribers are Haunted Mansion fans. So I gave them two Haunted Mansion options. And it was hard to say who won, but I'm going to make both anyways. But like that was a great conversation to see what people thought about the concept. And yeah, having the one-on-one interactions about what people want from a thing. It's crazy. Haunted Mansion fans are so specific in what they want because there's so many iterations of things from the Haunted Mansion because you not only have the two in the States, you also have Phantom Manor in Paris and uh, a Tokyo Haunted Mansion, which is very similar to the one here at Disney World. But with those four attractions, there have also been iterations through the decades of changes for characters or changes of scenery or There could be five pieces of concept art for one thing in the Haunted Mansion that are five different styles. And so that's what I've been having fun with is looking back on some of the concept art for the the ride instead of going directly to the ride and kind of formulating my own version of a thing and releasing that. And people love that. So instead of trying to appease very specific people, because the Haunted Mansion to everyone is a different thing. That's something that I love about the ride is that it's so vague in its storytelling but also so clear and concise, but vague enough that it's interpretive to everyone. So everyone's idea of the Haunted Mansion is something completely different. You can't please everyone. And I think that the movie recently that came out is a perfect example of that. It's going to be very divisive because you have in your head what the Haunted Mansion is to you. And so that's what I love about this particular focus of inspiration. I can hear the passion in your voice. Like <laughs> yeah. Just from just something so specific, you're leaning into what you love. That's and crazy. So this, I guess, what I'm taking from this is, you know, if you have something that's very niche specific like this that you want to do, instead of taking the broad approach of just shouting to social media, you're gathering your collectors by having them take out their credit card, $5 a month isn't much, but it separates them from all your other followers. And to where just that small amount, that uh, even $5 a month, it just puts them in a different club. And you're, then you can really truly see who they are and have conversations with them about what they want. Instead of just trying to make it up and wing it, you're taking your collectors and yeah, getting their feedback and getting to have those passionate conversations with them about this. And yeah. it's just, I yeah, love cool. this approach. Yeah. It's a more deep dive into it than just, you know, making a reel and hoping for the best. It's, right. you have a more, you have a better, which is what track. I did for a very long time. <laughs> you really? You know, okay. the subscription service is only like a month or two old. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Not that I've done Radley Relics for a super long time. This is only like, well, I started in 2020 technically, so it's year three. But yeah, I found that kind of needed to funnel those specific fans or followers into the smaller group is so much easier to have that those conversations and stuff. So. Definitely. Yeah, I can look and I know certain people who comment on my stuff every time. I know that there's a lot of people who follow me that are never going to become buyers. But this is a good way to separate them and give that extra attention to those buyers and in order yeah. to get a better sale, a happier product, and just a better commission process throughout the whole And thing. to get your attention easier too. I love trying my best to respond to all the comments. And I can't even imagine having 100,000 followers like you. It's nerve-wracking, you know, because you want to appease everyone and you want to make everyone happy, especially when you're running a business through Instagram. But it's just 
not feasible to be responsive that much of the day. So yeah, it's a much easier way of connecting to those hardcore followers. Yeah, I would say I'm super guilty of I have a virtual assistant who replies to majority of things and have but that's awesome. But yeah, it's awesome, but it's very surface level then like I don't have deep conversations or in depth conversations, I guess about art with those followers on there because I'm treating everybody like, a, oh, like the, they'll, they'll message me a compliment. I'll be like, oh, thanks. I don't know. I'll say something very short and then it ends. But because there's no filtering way. So you're giving having me think, I'm like, what if there could be a filtering way of people who are interested in if I did more canvas art or murals and I'm just kidding. The wheels are turning. And so, yeah. <laughs> no, <that's awesome. laughs> yeah, you're making me realize more about it than I even was thinking about. But yeah. In order, you know, if you're a big fan of an artist, following them is great. But if you want to subscribe to them in this way, then that shows how serious of a fan that you are. And that makes sense to me that that's how the line of communication goes, especially the bigger the artist becomes on Instagram. It's just very difficult to keep up. So I'm even thinking, I just had this idea, what if we could do something to where, like, say I had a hundred people who have bought canvases from me in the past so many years, I could even, I could put them into a club somehow, like a group chat or something or something to where I could go to them when I had a new idea or even like a two-tiered club, like the ones who have bought little things from me versus the ones who are big money collectors and label it as such. Everybody likes to be in, you know, the exclusive top tier club, right? Like I have like the gold (laughs) status club or I don't know, like they could just, I mean, we could even take, they don't even have to be subscribers. It could just be past customers who have spent X amount, you know, or what whatever it is and put them that way they're getting more of me. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now I have a question for you. Yeah. Uh, do you happen to use a system like monday.com at all for your work? What's that? Well, I'm not very tech savvy, but my, my good buddy and brother is uh, helping me set up monday.com account, which is kind of like sheets, like Google sheet, like, right? Google sheets is a thing where it's, <laughs> it's like a spreadsheet, but it's can be infinitely more complex and it's just, it's going to help me keep track of all of my customers, the sales and their information so that every time I have a repeat customer, it's much easier for me to now find their information instead of having to ask them repeat questions. And it just helps me stay more organized. And we're setting that up now, which I'm really excited about, as opposed to right now, I'm just, it's all conversation based in Instagram. And then me taking notes on my notes app on iPhone. <laughs> so it's, it's a mess. And my, my friend Jeremy can attest to that because he's dealing with it. Thank God. I mean, he's so, I'm so thankful that he's doing that for me. But, but yeah, I think that's going to help a ton, at least for me. You know, that's a great but idea. I don't know how that would work for you. Yeah. I think it would. If I did more canvas art, I mostly paint murals for businesses. So, Larger they're murals, like, yeah. They have, yeah, they have like events and whatnot. So, I don't know that they would like to be in my gold tier club or whatever. Sure. They would understand. Like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but for something like you, and if I wanted to do canvas stuff and people who have those preferences, I think that's a great idea. Yeah. That any organization, I have QuickBooks and that help. That's all the organization. I there have. you go. There you go. That's something I need to. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's endless, the, the back end. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for giving us a, a backdrop or background of what, what you've been doing and how you got into it. And even unknowingly giving tips on how to run a better business with a very specific. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I guess, is there, what advice, this is what I like to wrap every conversation up with is what advice do you have for artists who maybe they want to do something very similar to what you want to do? What's your best advice on how they get started as a beginner? Sure. Um, I think first and foremost, which I spent a lot of my life trying to figure this out myself, is funneling your passions into an art form that you're always going to want to make. That was very challenging for me. For the longest time, I thought I was a 2D portrait painter or you know, I had to do 2D painting. And that's I was more interested in textures and I was more interested in scenery until I figured out, oh, dioramas are like the whole, the complete package for me. So yeah, I think starting with passion is key for sure. I've heard lots of artists say that, but stick to it. Figure out what your passions are, write them down, see how you can combine them into the perfect sort of formula for art. Yeah. Okay. So I like that you say write them down because we're all in our heads. I'm in my head all day thinking of, oh, this and that, but writing it down and funneling it even maybe even saying what I don't want to do would help narrow that down into something. For sure. I like that you're doing it and it's inspiring me to want to do it. <laughs> and Absolutely. And I do have one more huge recommendation yeah. because I just remembered, which I, sh- I wish I'd, I shouldn't have remembered so late, but the biggest inspiration to do this business, the way that I'm doing it, came from a man called Andy J. Pizza. He runs an amazing podcast for people who love podcasts, which I assume most of your listeners do. It's called the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. And it endlessly is so helpful. He's a genius. His only goal is to help other creatives start a business, basically. And he helped me funnel all of my major passions and inspirations and sort of figure out the best way to utilize those for my artwork. So. Very cool. Yeah, I've listened to him a couple of years ago, but I, I got off of it. And so I'm going to tune into the pep talk, the creative pep talk. Yeah, podcast. sometimes an episode might not speak to you, but if you keep going, they'll be the perfect episode. And you'll like stop in your car and be like, oh my God, I need to soak this in because this is exactly what I was waiting for. So Yeah. Okay, awesome. Thank you for the recommendation. I think we can all use more things to listen to, whether it's Absolutely. Audible, Disney villain, Audible stories. Or- <laughs> That's all I do is podcasts and more podcasts. And now YouTube music gets so old when you do a job like this, where that's all it is, is listening. So why not learn something while you're working? So true. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been cool getting to know your back end of the of your business and you. And I'm excited Absolutely. to keep following you and seeing what you create. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's been a great pleasure. I really appreciate you. Yeah, you too. I'll talk to you later. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Artist Academy podcast. I've been putting out at least one episode per week for more than four years on this podcast. And it's really cool to see those download numbers go up and up as time goes on. And that's because artists like you listen and share these episodes. So really... 
when I say thank you, I mean it. <laughs> it's really cool to see progress along the way. And anyway, if you like this type of art and business content, then I highly encourage you to get the audio version of my book, Mural Money, with over 15 hours of listening inspiration. I'm currently running a special of just $17 for the audio version. You can go to muralmoney.com to find it. And that comes with a bunch of extras like my art supply list, my pricing guide, recommended book and podcast list, and so much more. I filled that book with tips from my art journey of building a profitable mural career. Plus, I've included the best of the best advice from guests I've interviewed on this podcast. It's the most affordable all-in-one book of advice on art and business that I have. And if you enjoy listening to me here, then I know you'll like the book too because I read it myself all 15 hours of it. <laughs> the book is available on Amazon and Audible normally for $25, but if you go to muralmoney.com, that is where you can grab the special $17 deal while it lasts. If you haven't listened to my book yet, this is your sign to do it. Again, normally $25, running a special for $17, but you have to go to muralmoney.com. That's where you can grab the audio version of it. And that's all I have for you today. So I will see you next week for another episode of the Artist Academy podcast. <laughs>